All right, well, I tell you what, it is a good thing that I am not a Texas A&M fan today. My goodness. And so we got a... We got some Arkansas fans here who need some prayers. I know it's probably a struggle. There's some mourning going on. That's understandable. You know, some grief. I'm mainly just messing with Eddie because I know he's a, he's a hardcore Arkansas fan. Anyway, uh, it is good to see some visitors here today, which and that is always a good thing. But I got to say, it's a little unfortunate that you came today because it's the last sermon in the series. But so you're going to have to go to YouTube, okay? Go to YouTube, go to the Holy Spirit Church of Christ, and you can go watch the. Uh, first six previous sermons in the series, so you can make this one make sense. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I usually try to preach a sermon series, sermons in a way where you can, they can be a standalone sermon, so you don't have to worry about that. Though it would be great if you would go back and watch those. That would be very much appreciated. Um, so, we've been in Philippians. We've been in the letter of Philippians. We've talked about how one of the main things Paul wants them to remember is that they are to be servants. Right, remember in his greeting, that is what you refer to exclusively. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants. And that's the only time in his letters that Paul exclusively refers to a servant. And so it's clear that Paul wants the Philippians to know they ought to be servants. And then, of course, we talked about how Paul, he suffered for the advance of the gospel, and we too should suffer for the advance of the gospel. And then we talked about how Christ, Christ himself, he displays how he, he was selfless. And he suffered by sacrificing himself. Then, of course, we had a sermon about how God, he works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Really obeying, submitting, looks like submitting to God so he can work in you. And then we talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are both servants, right? Both servants, but they demonstrate different ways how we can serve. And then last week, we talked about how righteousness comes through faith. But most notably, first, the faith of Jesus, Jesus was faithful so that we could be faithful. And now finally we are in Philippians chapter 4, the last chapter. Now one thing I want you to notice really about all of Paul's letters is that he kind of has a flow to them, generally. Uh, usually he has an issue that he's got to address in the church, right? And then he offers a, a solution or, or some advice on to how to address that issue. And then Paul will give an example, usually of himself, of what they ought to do, and then Paul usually compliments something they do well. Right? So there's an issue, there's a solution, there's an example, and then he compliments something done well. Now, that's the case for most of his letters, except for Galatians. That's the exception, because the Galatians apparently didn't do anything well, but that's beside the point. Now, what I want you to notice, though, in Philippians chapter 4, is we have this flow. There's an issue, there's a solution, there's an example, and then he compliments something done well. Well, now this is something I want to do as a preacher, right? It's necessary for me to point out issues that might be in our congregation, uh, but just pointing out issues, just providing criticism is really not that helpful, right? We, we need constructive criticism. Uh, see something that needs to be worked on and then provide a way or some advice on how we could do better. But here's the thing about constructive criticism. I think constructive criticism means nothing if the person offering it doesn't really display what they're talking about, the criticism, right? If I'm not living out how I should live, if I'm not loving, if I'm not serving, then I have no place to offer constructive criticism. And so Paul, when he offers this constructive criticism to the Philippians, he shows them his example, right? And so not only does Paul criticize, not only does he, he convict, not only does he show an example, Paul also compliments something done well. You see, I think it is important to balance conviction with compliments, right? 
Because if I just stand here, up here, criticizing you all every single Sunday, that wouldn't do too much good, now would it? You'd be discouraged, it'd be hard for you to continue on. And so Paul, he models this in his letter, and specifically in Philippians chapter 4. So notice this flow. There's an issue. There's a solution. There's an example. And Paul compliments something done well. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodia and Sentike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what's the issue? Well, based on the verses, there seems to be an argument going on. There's a conflict going on, and Paul has already addressed this. Remember, Philippians chapter 2, there, were, there was apparently grumbling and disputing going on, grumbling and disputing that should not have been going on. So maybe, maybe Yodi and Sentaiki, they have a you know, a heated disagreement. Uh, maybe, maybe one of them brought the dish, right? The, the other usually brings the potluck, or maybe one of them brought the lemonade to the potluck. The person who I'm taking a jab at knows who they are. Uh, anyway, regardless, uh, the, the issue that they had, the conflict that they had, must have been big in their eyes, but Paul understands that there are much more important things to focus on. So in verses 4 through 9, Paul, he offers a solution or advice on what they ought to do. Uh, these verses seem to be written in the context of Yoda and Sentaiki having their disagreement. So let's read verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, let's break this down a little bit. Verse 5, let your reasonableness, another translation could be your, your gentleness, your, your mildness, let that be known. Instead of heated disagreements, let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known. I think of what Jesus says in the Sermon on Mount, the, the blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or daughters of God. Verse 6, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Wait, wasn't Timothy, wasn't he anxious for his brothers and sisters? We saw that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. So, aren't we supposed to be anxious sometimes? Well, yes, we should be anxious for our brothers and sisters. Our thoughts, remember, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about being anxious for our brothers and sisters. We have to have our thoughts occupied, be concerned for one another. But there are some things we shouldn't be too concerned about, some things we shouldn't be too anxious about. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. The text says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? 
And while you're anxious about clothing, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right, so there are things that we shouldn't be anxious about. Right, stuff, tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow? There are things that we shouldn't be anxious about, but we can and we should be anxious for our brothers and sisters. We should be concerned about our brothers and sisters, but not stuff. So maybe this disagreement that Yodia and Satyaki have, maybe it grew out of anxiety. Maybe they were anxious about something. Haven't you ever been anxious about something and that has caused you to, to become heated, right? For, for the couples out here, have you ever gotten into a debate or an argument, but the thing you were arguing wasn't actually arguing about, wasn't actually the thing you were concerned about, right? You were just anxious, and out of your anxiety, you started debating, right? You started arguing, right? We understand this. Sometimes anxiety can lead to us becoming heated. Now, I know this is hard. I know it's hard sometimes to, to remain calm, right? To remain peaceable. But as Paul suggests, our reasonableness, our gentleness, our mildness ought to be known. We shouldn't be having these heated arguments with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And instead, as verse 6 says, let's read verse 6 in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, rather, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Are you anxious about anything? Make it known to God. Right? We have a tendency to dwell in our minds and to constantly just worry about things, but the fact of the matter is we have a God we can go to. Go to in prayer instead of dwelling on it, trying to figure out how we can solve a problem we should go to God prayer. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace, tranquility, calmness. Now often, obviously, this word is used in the relation to peace between people. And as we know, there have been, wow, in our world, there are so many unhinged people. I mean, you can go to YouTube, search like uh, fights, public fights, or public arguments, and you're going to see a whole bunch of crazy people, right? You're going to see thousands of videos of people just losing it in public, right? We see so much of it because we have phones, right? We got phones where we, people record these unhinged people just going at it, right? And I know sometimes it's kind of funny to us, but uh, on a serious note, man, our world is without peace. There are so many people who are just unable to remain calm and to have civil discussion. And it just seems that our society becomes more and more divisive. divisive right? And often what happens is uh, the way society is going, it will affect many churches. Thus society becomes divisive, and so do many churches. Now, I don't know about you all, but when reading this text, when it calls God a God of peace, that confuses me a little. Because on the other hand, uh, wait, didn't Jesus say that he didn't come to earth to bring peace but a sword? 
Then Jesus said, he, he didn't come to earth to bring peace, but division. You can see that in Matthew 10, verse 34, and Luke 12, 51. All right, so what is this about God being a God of peace? I don't see too much peace in the world. It's confusing, right? Let's consider John in chapter 16. John in chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Jesus you may have peace. Uh, do you all know the song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, right? I sang that in choir when I was in choir. That's not a promise. As long as we are in the world right now, before Christ returns, we, we can't find peace in this world. As Jesus says, the only thing this world really offers is tribulation. You will not find peace in this world. You can only find peace in Christ. Peace is only for those in Christ. And this peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Remember what heart has to do with it. It has to do with your impulses, your affections, your desires, your inner being, your minds, your thoughts. So for those in Christ, our hearts will be guarded. We won't be uh, impulsive. We won't be uh, rash. We won't lash out at other people if we are in the God of peace. Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9, and he kind of explains how we can cultivate peace. So verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Keep your mind on the good things. Keep your mind on the good things. Maybe you wonder why you don't have peace. Maybe it's because you're always thinking about the negative things. Right, the, Jason Gardner, the preacher at West Pleasure, the church we went to over at Hardy, he would often say, why are there so many Christians who seem like they've been weaned on a sour pickle, right? Uh, the meaning that they always have an uh, angry disposition or a sour disposition on their face, right? Because they're negative people. Right, so if you're wondering why okay, you don't have peace, maybe it's because you're not thinking about the good things. And now, I get that's easy for me to say. It's easy to say that. It's another thing to live out that when you have some things come at you in life, right? As we all know, there's an ebb and flow to life, right? There are times that are great, and then there are times that are not so great. But when we are relying on God, when we are in God, the God of peace, when we have Christ, we can be content. And Paul, he models this in verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re revived your concern for me. You were in deep concern for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to do bra flow, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So no matter the ebb and flow of life, Paul is content. Now that's tough. Right? We can be honest with ourselves, that is tough. Because in life, when we face times of plenty and times of uh, hunger, it's not easy. Michaela can tell you there was a time in my life where I was not content. Straightforward, I was not content. I, I did not rely on the God of peace. It's hard. It's okay to be honest with ourselves and understand that this is hard. But if we are in the God of peace, I, I believe we can have this contentment as Paul does. I noticed something else about these verses. I'm sure you noticed verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As we know, this verse has been taken out of context way too many times, right? So when Paul says this, he's not talking about you having strength to play your football game, okay? He's not talking about you having strength to maybe catch your fish. Uh, he's not talking about, you know, how you get your next promotion, having strength to get your next promotion. No, no, no. Remember, it's just got done talking about being content. So in any and every circumstance, Paul can have strength from Christ to be content. And we too. If we're in Christ, we can face any circumstance and still be content. In our world, specifically businesses, right? Think about businesses in our country. They rely on us not being content. They count on it, right? There's a new phone every year, there's a new tablet every year, there's a new computer every year, there's a new car every year. And then the next year, your new phone, your new tablet, your new computer, your new car is old and it needs to be replaced. Our world, our society, our businesses rely on us not being content. But if we cannot be content just with one year with a phone, if we can't be content with just that, how can we begin to tent in times of plenty and times of hunger? We've got to find contentment in the God of peace. I want to take a moment to pause for a second. I hope you notice this flow, right? We had an issue. Okay, and that issue was a conflict between Yodia and Sentaki, or Yoda, as Michaela suggests. It kind of looks like Yoda, but anyway. Uh, we had an issue. Okay, and then we had a solution. Right, what was that solution? The solution was peace. The solution was peace that we can find in God. All right, remember, peace that only comes from God. You're not going to find this peace in the world. You're not going to find this peace in somebody else. You only find it in God. And then, of course, Paul gives us an example. He gives us an example of himself, how he has been content in every and any circumstance of plenty and of hunger. And then finally, Paul, he highlights something they do well. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant, a fragrant offering, a uh, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. 
So the Philippians, as that text says, they've been supporting Paul in ministry. Now remember, we're talking about the Philippians, okay? The Philippians, they were, in Philippi, they were a Roman colony. So just by being a Roman colony, they were automatically more well-off than most Christians. Thus, they used their, their earthly citizenship to support the faith. Instead of running off of their earthly citizenship and just basking in that, the, the, the prosperity they had on earth, they used that to support the faith. And so Paul, he commends them for this. Great job, you, you're, you're serving, you're, you're giving things up for, for the faith. Right, so Paul, he commends something they've done well. This is something I need to do as a minister. Right, when I see something done well here, I should say something about it, right? I shouldn't just stand up here offering criticism. I shouldn't just stand up here, uh, my goal being conviction, which that is my goal. I want you to be convicted. But I also need to point out things done well. Speaking of things done well, right? Paul just mentioned the, the service we've been able to do. Right, y'all are doing some good things here. Y'all have really allocated resources well to serve others. Not just resources, time and energy, all right? This past Monday, several of us, my goodness, that took out a lot of energy, didn't it? A lot of energy, but it was energy well spent. You see, there are opportunities here. God has given us opportunities to serve the community, to serve others. Right? There are good things going on here, and so I'm going to commend you all. So why do I commend you? Well, see, offering compliments, it's a good thing for a few reasons. One, uh, to encourage, to encourage people to do that thing more. Two, some people can't see the things they do well unless they're told. I understand this uh, growing up that was kind of an issue with me, but anyway, that's beside the point. We are doing good things here, and we have opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, see what I did there. It's a little, nice little bridge. Sometimes you get into the invitation to stretch. Okay, so I'm going to take what I can get. Speaking of opportunities, one thing that's convenient about Paul and his flow in his letters is that he always begins with grace, and he ends with grace. So you can go look at every single one of Paul's letters in the first several verses, and the last several verses, you're going to see the word grace mentioned. And so here in Philippians chapter 4, he ends with grace, verses 21 and 28 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Christ Jesus be with your spirits. You have an opportunity now. An opportunity at grace, whether that be receiving that grace in baptism, or maybe you've fallen away, maybe you've drifted away, so maybe you need grace, maybe you need the church to pray for you. Whatever your need is, it comes and stands and